Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. All right, so this is, I I guess this is kind of 1B of spiritual practices and disciplines. I didn't, I didn't really plan. I thought last week was going to be kind of a transitional message, but I kind of started going into where we're going for the next several weeks. I'm not 100% sure how many weeks this is going to go, four or five. We'll see. But I want to talk about the idea of spiritual practices and disciplines. And the subtitle we have here is Be Diligent in Your Labor to Enter into Your Rest in Christ. So there's this paradox that we have, that we live in. We are complete in him, but yet we want to renew our minds so that we walk in the holiness that he's given us. We want to walk worthy of the salvation. We don't want to take lightly the salvation that Christ has given us. You don't earn your righteousness by works, but you want to live out of that righteousness that he's given you, right? So I want to give you just this list right off the bat of what we're going to look at. We're not going to go through every single one of these, but this is basically a list. And there are other lists as well. And and I would encourage you to, you know, come up with your own list of some of the practices and disciplines that you want to see improve in your life over the next few weeks. And again, the reason we want to do, so I'll give you a second to look at those. Meditation, prayer, fasting, simplicity, fellowship, journaling, chastity, stewardship, submission or obedience, study or reading the Bible, evangelism, contemplation, confession, solitude, gratitude, self-examination, silence, and celebration. Can you think of any more? Any, anybody else have any that you've studied over the years or something that you don't see on the list? That pretty much covers it one way or the other. Because there's, you know, you look it up online, and it, it's not like this is one of those doctrinal things where that is, it's like the nine fruits of the Spirit or something like that. The spiritual disciplines and practices can be kind of parsed out into all different types of lists and perspectives. So I would be interested if anybody else had any, but that's a big no. You're looking up at me like, just keep going. <laughs> Charity. That's not on there, is it? Is giving on there? Gosh, I left that off. Charity, giving, I'll add that on for next week. I thought I had that on there. In my list, I had it, but all right, so here's what we want to do. This is, this is why you want to engage in these spiritual practices and disciplines. We want to renew our mind and persuade our heart to believe. That's what you're doing. You're engaging in a process so that after you've participated in this activity or whatever you've done, you've spent time engaging in this practice and this discipline. You come out of it with your mind renewed and your heart persuaded. Like Janet had the card and what she did is wrote that passage on there. How many of you do that? You got sticky notes or, yeah, I know uh, Bethany, you did that during the last, uh, when Shiloh, you were coming up to the birth, you had these cards that you would read. Were you even reading those during the birthing process? So here she is having a baby at home in her living room, (laughs) reading these cards, 
renewing her mind and persuading her heart. Now, how many of you know that's probably like the last thing you want to do when you're sitting there literally under uh, travail and what's the word? What's the contract? You in the middle of contractions, and it's like if, if that were if I were having a baby and somebody stuck a card in my face, I think I'd say, get that card out of my face. But I mean, you know, it's just a beautiful picture of. Well, you know, sometimes. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. No, I'm kidding. I didn't mean to cut you off. You were holding on to him. Give me the next one. Yeah, because you knew. You knew that that's where your mind and your heart needed to be. Yeah, that's another testimony. That's one of those testimonies that you're a little hesitant to share because it's not other people's experiences. And sometimes people try to have those experiences and it doesn't quite work out. And so it's difficult. Uh, but, you know, so she had a baby in her living room uh, in, a tu- in a kiddie pool birthing tub. I wasn't there, so I didn't know. <laughs> Pain-free, no meds. Praise God. A little bit of pain. Yeah, I would imagine a little bit of pain. A little bit of pain. So you didn't, you didn't have a specific goal that was just... Yeah. I love that. What, what do I need to be in a position to trust you, regardless of the outcome? I mean, I know that there's a promise available, but where do I need to be in my heart? Who do I need to be in this moment? And see, that, that's where you can look to what Christ has accomplished in you and in your spirit, and you can see the picture of the potential of thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and that's the goal. You're, you're putting yourself in a position to believe because all things are possible when we believe. Amen. So we start in, in all of these practices and disciplines, we start from a state of completion. You're not trying to be a better person. You're not trying to improve. Let me, let me just stick to my notes here because I'm getting ahead of myself. And that's based on this passage here, Colossians 2.9, for in Christ all the fullness of, deity, of the deity dwells in bodily form, and you have been made complete in Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority, because Christ dwells in you. Say, Christ lives in me. Christ See, the idea, and, and another translation says, for in Christ dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So everything that God is is in Christ, and Christ is in you. So you are complete in him because he is in you. You don't have to try to work to get better, but these are realities that are true of you in spirit. So, a couple more statements here. We're not trying to become something we are not. We are training our mind, soul, and body to yield to our spiritual identity. You're putting on the new man, putting on that new identity. You cannot improve on your salvation but you can experience more of it because we know what salvation is, soteria or the word sozo, soteria, 
is the Greek word for salvation, and sozo is the Greek word for saved, and it means healed, made whole, prospered, delivered, restored, kept safe, delivered from messianic judgment is one of the, one, one of the definitions, which is incredibly powerful. So we're not, we're not trying to become a better person in our own strength. We're trying to reflect who we truly are in spirit. You're looking into the mirror of the word. You're looking into your inner man where Christ is. You're looking at that new heart that God has given you. And you're looking with the eyes of your heart to him to inform to you who you are. Because we all have these issues that we want to improve. I mean, right? We all, I mean, how many of you just really want to keep on sinning and destroy your life? I mean, contrary to popular belief, some people think that that's what we preach. But, you know, they'll grow up one day. Thank you for that thunderous laugh there. I could say so much about that, but I'm just going to keep going. So, so we start from a place of completion. And this is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. So all of these practices that we're going to talk about over the next few weeks and develop strategies to engage in our lives and, you know, at the, at the end of today, the home, your homework is going to be to craft a prayer for yourself to read regularly morning and night. And we'll just kind of do an example of one together toward the end of this message. But we're not doing it to try to get God to do something for us. We're not trying to impress God or please God with our efforts, although we should live, li live lives that are pleasing to God. We're trying to persuade our own minds and hearts to believe because when we believe, all things are possible. And when we believe, we are in that place of who we truly are in Him, that place of completion. No matter what goes on in the outer world, no matter if you have the promise of healing, but you still have to have a tooth pulled, but there's pain-free days afterward. You know what I mean? It's like, well, we don't want to settle for half miracles, but if we only get a half miracle, who cares? Praise God for what did happen. Are you with me? All right. This is what we're doing, Romans 6, 13. And do not, be, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. You are righteous. Just say that. I am righteous. I am righteous. And if you're relatively new or you just found us online, this is one of those heart exercises that you can do to find out what you really believe because here's the reality. Jesus, who knew no sin, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin. So you could become righteous in him. Now, did he really become sin? Well, that depends. Do you think you really become righteous? See, some people think, well, I'm not really righteous, so therefore he must not have really become sin. Well, you can believe what you want to believe, but the reality is it's like his nature was exchanged with all of humanity in that moment so he could absorb the penalty of the law. So he could absorb the effects of sin to set mankind free from all of that in him. Now, we still have to be reconciled to him. We still have to choose him and, you know, say yes to the salvation he offers. But God's not holding your sin against you. You don't have to repent 
and try to do a better job to be more accepted by God or to avoid the risk of being rejected by God. Amen? I mean, those are just points that I'm just always going to hit. I'm always going to affirm to you who you are in Him and the sufficiency of His sacrifice on your behalf. But because we have such a great gift, we do want to level up our physical existence to reflect who we really are in spirit. So, I have this video. Um, it's a Jordan Peterson video. Anybody Jordan Peterson fans? I asked that a couple weeks ago. I, I, I quote him quite a bit. I, I like the guy. Although, Jordan Peterson is kind of like a, an, an Apollos in Acts. He's somebody that can really, you know, understands the dynamics of, of God and how he works and the, and the need for us to engage Christian living and the benefits of it, but I'm not so certain that the guy's born again. So it's very interesting. He approaches religion from this archetypal perspective and from a, from a uh, so he's a clinical psychologist, so he understands what helps people and what hurts people, and his perspective is living the Judeo-Christian lifestyle is the best way to live on this planet. It produces the best emotions in your life. It produces the best character in your life. It produces the best systems of civility with one another. But he doesn't full-on give credit to Jesus for our salvation. So, you know, I hesitate to mention him and play some of his videos, but in light of what we're talking about here, what he says here to me is it's, it's motivating to me. And, you know, and sometimes as grace people, sometimes as finished work people, we neglect that we do need to labor to enter into the rest. We neglect that we do need to exercise faith, that we do need to endeavor to lay those sins aside that so easily beset us, as it says. You know, we do need to put forth effort, but the effort is not to become better in our own strength. The effort is to, I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to do everything I possibly can to yield to righteousness. I'm going to do everything in my strength that I possibly can to yield to the grace of God within me because that's where the transformation comes from. The transformation doesn't come from my effort. My effort is to be put into make myself as open to him and his influence as I possibly can because I believe he is a light of perfection within us. He is a source of healing and wisdom and just everything in completeness within us. And every area that we can yield to him, we begin to reflect that perfection as well. So it's like if we could just be fully yielded to the Holy Spirit within us, what would that look like? Kind of sounds like Jesus, right? That's what it said of him, fully yielded. He was a man in every way like we are, yet without sin, full of the Holy Spirit, fully yielded to God. I'm not saying you can become a God, but you can live on this earth yielded to the influence of the Holy Spirit in you like he did. And I get it. This is challenging because we know people in our lives that are hurting. We have emotional distress. We got pain in our own bodies. This is a challenging thing. You know, so it's like I, I, I'm not trying to put burdens on people that you've got to believe harder. I just want you to... Any effort that you put forth toward God 
is to become persuaded of what he's done for you in Christ. Amen? So this video that we're about to show, it's interesting. So he's on the doc. This is Jordan Peterson. He's on the Dr. Oz show. I don't, I don't know a whole lot about Dr. Oz. I mean, from what I've seen, he's got some interesting stuff on there. But, uh, you know, it's only about a two-minute clip. He says some things in there that might not be exactly in line. But I appreciate the sentiment, and then we're going to go from there. So if you guys are ready, you want to go ahead and play that. And, and listen quick, because right off the bat, he says some good stuff. You should be pursuing who you could be. That'd be the first thing. It's like, because you're not who you could be, and you know it. You have guilt and shame and, and regret, and, and you berate yourself for your lack of discipline and your procrastination and all your bad habits. You know perfectly well that you're not who you could be. And God only knows who you could be. And so that's how you should be strive, that's what you should be s- striving for. And associated with that, you should be attempting to formulate some conception of the highest good that you can conceive of, that you can articulate. Because why not aim for that? It's like your life is short and, and it's troublesome. And perhaps you need to do something worthwhile with it. And if so, then you should do the most worthwhile thing. And you should figure out what that is for you. And part of that's definitely going to be to develop your character as much as possible to dispense with those parts of you that are unworthy. And then maybe, if you're fortunate and you do that carefully, then happiness will descend upon you from time to time. And that's the best you've got. And then also perhaps during sorrowful times, or worse, evil times, the fact that you've strengthened your character and that you're aiming at the highest that you can conceptualize That'll give you the moral fortitude to endure without becoming corrupted during those times. And to be someone who can be relied upon in a crisis. I mean, think about that. So and he's, a bit of emo- he's a bit emotional because in the same interview, he talks about an experience he had with God, basically. Uh, I, I am, I'm praying for this guy because I think he's on a collision course with salvation soon. But, you know, th- this is counterproductive. Now, performance-centered Christianity loves this kind of thing because it gives your flesh, that part of you that thinks it can improve itself through self-effort, something to work toward. And I think as finished work grace people, sometimes we can be guilty of... I'm accepted. I'm complete in him. I'm good. I don't have to try to, you know, shoot for those goals. And so, you know, we kind of fall into the ditch in terms of developing character and discipline and aiming high. You know, I I watched that about five times over the last few days when it came across my TikTok. (laughs) Not all TikTok is bad. That how old is that video? I think it's three, three or four years old. This is before he, you know, he had an emotion. He was overworking himself, and he had an emotional downfall, and he was taking this medication that nearly wrecked him. But he's coming out of it now. So, and he's very Canadian. Can you hear? If you don't know what a Canadian sounds like, it's that. <laughs> uh, but but I just you know it 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 personally motivates me because. 
it's such the paradox of resting in our completeness in Him, but also having the desire to be the best that we can be, to, to have this goal of, I, I want to be who I am in spirit in this earth. And what does that look like? I love that he says, you know, be all that you can be, and God only knows who you can be. But thank goodness that we know who we are in him as we engage in this process of self-development, development of character, discipline, spiritual practices. So, you know, it's like you become your own coach. You become your own trainer. You become your own drill sergeant. Whatever it might be for you, get a hold of yourself. Get a hold of yourself and develop the discipline of setting yourself down, even when you're in the middle of having a baby, <laughs> and put those things in front of you that are going to influence your mind and your heart to believe. Especially in the evil times. Did you catch when he said that? Especially when it's sorrowful and the evil and dark times are there because that's when you need strength and character the most. Right after this, he says one of the, he says one of the fruits of living this way is you end up being the strongest person at your father's funeral. And you're, you're, you're a testimony to people. This is what God can do. And we rise above. You know, I mean, I have people sending me videos, texting me all about end times and all about the vac what they're trying to do with the vaccine and we need to get off the grid and let's just give up on the world because it's all over with and the world is evil and there's no hope and the kingdom of God is hiding in a corner because the devil's winning and Jesus, please come because I don't have any hope. I mean, that's what that theology produces. Now, I'm not making a theological statement on end times. I mean, I have ideas and beliefs, and maybe one day I'll present some of those ideas. Um, but I know that there's a resurrection. I know that he's coming back, and I know that everybody that has ever lived or ever will live will stand before him at that final judgment, and there is a separation. But whatever happens between now and then, I'm not 100% sure. I've seen different things throughout the years. But... I poke fun at that mindset a little bit because I know people who are completely unproductive, having given up on the kingdom of God, making a difference in this world because they look at the news, they look at politics, they look at the state of other nations, they look at the corruption, and they give up. It's too hard. We can't make a difference. Well, that is exactly what the enemy wants us to believe. The enemy wants you staying stuck in your depression and your illness and your brokenness, huh? Your fear. your fear, all of that, huh? Six feet apart, yeah. My goodness, and we, you know, when that first started, you know, everybody's cautious. I mean, I know people that have lost loved ones in this past year and a half, so I don't minimize, you know, the virus is real. It's out there. It came from a lab because they're trying to kill us all. Maybe. I don't know. I, you know, I'm not, denying, I'm not denying it. I'm just saying. I, I, what I remember, what I was going to say is, uh, everybody's like, oh, you're one of those, aren't you? I, I'm just saying that jokingly. You know what I'm saying? Uh, even though, did y'all did see John Stewart 
on the, uh, do you know who John Stewart is? Anyway, he's this very liberal guy on one, another liberal show, and his joke tirade about where it came from, it's hilarious. It's so funny when they betray each other. But anyway. <laughs> the, the, so we had a worship and prayer night pretty early on in, the, in this journey. And, you know, we were, we still, everybody was still cautious trying to figure out what was going on. And, you know, we wanted to be respectful and all that kind of stuff. And so we had a prayer night. And I was sitting back there. And I wasn't really going to engage. I was, you know, the team was ministering. Everybody was doing their thing. I was back there running lyrics. And I was having fun back there. And, and then I, the Lord put it on my heart. Get up. Go up there. Lead everybody to gather in circles. Hold hands and pray. And this was right in the middle of when we were supposed to be distancing. And you could see it in the room. Who was here that night? Raise your hand if you were here that night. There was a bit of a shift, wasn't it? It felt like. You could see it on people's faces. Like, are we supposed to do this? You know, we're looking around. It, that fast it got in our head. Now, I'm not trying to make a political statement about that type of stuff. What I'm saying is how quickly a mindset can get developed in a group of people. Man, I'm telling you, we were there. To the point that we thought it was a bad thing or a not such a good idea to touch another human and pray together. But it, but it shifted that night. You could feel it in the room. So those of you that were there, you felt the shift even in your own heart and in, in, in the room. Raise your hand. Did you, did you feel something kind of change that night? Yeah. To me, it was interesting because it just reflected the mindset, but then pushing through that. And I'm not saying be irresponsible and all that, but... Watch out what mindsets you adopt because that's what we're talking about. I have this statement that I wrote that was kind of a little bit inspired by what Peterson said. I'll just read it. Uh, we should want to be the best version of ourselves we can be. Aim as high as you can. You can't improve on your salvation, but you can experience more of it. You're not striving for righteousness or anything Jesus paid for. You're just optimizing your faculties to fully experience all that is yours in him. Discipline yourself to break off the limitations of your old way of thinking, otherwise known as your flesh. And, and, and it's not that you have two natures, spirit and flesh. You have one nature, the righteousness of God in him, but you have a flesh about you, not just this body, but a flesh in terms of a way of thinking where we neglect grace and live under our own strength. That's flesh. So you're no you no longer live according to your own strength or your flesh. You walk influenced by the power of God's Spirit. And engaging in these spiritual disciplines and practices, that's what we're doing. It's like we're exposing ourselves to the sun that will nourish us. Living by the Spirit optimizes your potential. Your potential is not derived from your flesh or your human nature. It's derived from a divine nature, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know, something clicked within me this week about that. That is what I should expect in my life, that divine nature that he has made such great and precious promises to us that we can participate in. I'm going to actually have that in next week's message, but the hope of life according to the way God sees it. That's what glory means. Glory is view and opinion. So when God's glory is revealed, how he sees things is, what's, is what is established. How he sees it 
is the way that it is. That's his glory. The hope of life according to the way God says it. So endeavor to believe. Say, I will believe. Endeavor to believe. Do whatever you can to discipline yourself to believe. Because when you believe, all things are possible. Make every effort to repent and believe. Not from a place of guilt, but from a place of thankfulness. Not from a place of you've disappointed God, and so now you've got to try to get back into His good graces and closer to Him. But from a place of knowing who you are as a child, knowing that you're complete in Him, knowing that He's already given you everything that pertains unto life and godliness. You're not trying to get more from Him. You're just trying to experience more of what He's already given you. Amen? And it has everything to do with the motives of the heart. All right, so I'm going to read. This is a pretty big section of, of Hebrews here. I'm going to start in Hebrews 3.12 and read all the way through Hebrews 4.10. I think it's 10, uh, 11. And the point of this is... Um, Oh, yeah, through 10. The point of this is showing you our responsibility to believe. So Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, uh, presents Jesus as this high priest over our new covenant. Remember we talked about that last couple of weeks, that Jesus is praying for us. He is interceding for us in heaven. And because he is that once and for all sin offering, he's not like a high priest under the Levitical priesthood where he's having to present and intercede for you offerings again and again and again, another offering for forgiveness, another offering for forgiveness because it's temporary. He offered once and for all himself as your sin offering. So his intercession as a high priest over this new covenant is not repetitive forgiveness as the weekly altar call crowd thinks. It's that because you're forgiven, now this is the potential. This is what's true. This is who you are in Christ. Remember, we went through the whole thing that what he's doing, he's affirming that his spirit is bearing witness with your spirit that you are his child. And not just his child, but a heir of God. And not just an heir of God, but a joint heir with Jesus. That's what we're doing is we are endeavoring to fully believe and own and embrace and live within this inheritance that he's given us. Amen? And it sounds good and preaches good, but what are you doing to actually persuade yourself to believe that? And because when you believe it, obedience follows, and you will find yourself in situations serendipitously more than you ever could try to obey your way into. So let's read this. This is an example of the Israelites being led out of Egypt and why they couldn't enter into the promised land and then now that how that lesson translates to us. All right, here we go. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a wicked heart of unbelief. Here's the example. Un the, here's the problem of this whole scenario, unbelief. The disobedience that the Israelites engaged in was not necessarily worshiping of a golden calf and complaining and thinking that God had rejected them. That was the fruit of the real issue, which was unbelief. Of course, worshiping a golden calf is direct disobedience to God because he said, you shall worship me alone. But that's a fruit of the heart. 
And everything has to do with the heart. So we're dealing with the unbelieving heart. Now, we still believe, we still have unbelief in our own hearts. He's given us a new heart, but you can let the world influence it and affect your belief level. Which, and, I'm not, and I'm not saying your faith level. I'm saying how persuaded are you of him? How persuaded are you of what he's done? Not how confident are you in your ability to believe things out of the hands of God? And there's a difference, you know, because there's a big section within Christianity that feels like, well, you, the, if you believe harder and have more faith, then you grow in the ability to get things from God. And that's not what we're talking about. You're just not even pinpointing what it is that you, that he, you need from Him. You're just becoming persuaded of Him. And, and so that's where we go into these exercises I think I'd said an exercise, and I skipped right past that earlier. Say I'm righteous. Where do your thoughts and your hearts, your feelings go? I'm righteous. No, I'm not. Well, you got some work to do. Believe in the finished work. No, I forgot the other one. I'll just go back to this. It'll come back. All right. See to it that none of you has a wicked heart of unbelief that turns away from the living God. But exhort one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end assurance, uh, if we hold firmly to the end the assurance we had at first. As it has been said, today if you hear his voice, well, let's see. I'm reading right on along and I don't even have it up there. All right, starting in verse 15. This is Hebrews 3.15. As it has been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. And this is true for us. You know, so when you hear a promise that's available, how does your heart respond to it? A hardened heart, in our perspective, doesn't mean that we're evil and wicked and at risk of losing our salvation. A hardened heart for the believer is you're secure in your salvation. That's what he says. You're secure in this. You have this assurance. Hold on to that assurance. But be careful that your heart doesn't become hardened toward him. I personally think this. All of these promises are available. And the only reason we are not experiencing everything that Jesus paid for is not because of God's timing. It's not because God wants you to sit in it long enough to learn your lesson. It's because of our hard hearts. A heart that is soft toward God 100% will experience His will in our lives. Verse 16, For who were the ones who heard and rebelled? Were they not also those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was God angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not, whom did he swear, gosh, forgive me. And to whom did he swear that they would never enter his rest? Was it not to those who disobeyed? See, we get the picture here that God got angry with them. And because they disobeyed, he withheld the promised land from them. But that's not what's happening. 
they couldn't receive it, even though it was a promise to them. So we see that it was because of their unbelief that they were unable to enter. Do you see that? Let me, let me, let me just do that one more time because verse 19 explains how you should think about verse 18. All right? So, and to whom did he swear that they would never enter his rest? Was it not to those who disobeyed? So that sounds like God is saying, you disobeyed, you cannot enter into my rest. But then he explains it. So we see that it was because of their unbelief that they were unable, they were unable to enter. Not because he was angry, so we see that God withheld the promise from them. That's not what it says. It says they were unable to enter. That's offensive. That is offensive because some of us have gone through some of the worst things that we can imagine facing in life. And some of us are going to go through some very tragic and dark things. And if we for a minute think that God is allowing that stuff or withholding the way out of it before it happens, we have to be careful because our heart starts becoming hard toward His true nature. And if there's anything that we endeavor for in this church, in this ministry, and the platform that God is giving us and increasing, it's to present the true nature of God, who God really is. They couldn't enter. They were unable. Then it goes right into Hebrews 4, verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be deemed to have fallen short of it by unbelief. That's the context. For we also received the good news just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to, no value to them since they did not share the faith with those who comprehended it. Now, we who believed enter into that rest. Now, that's an, that's an interesting translation. There's another translation, and most of them say that they didn't mix faith in their heart with the promise. I thought I had that one, but I put the wrong one in. So, verse 3, 4, 3, Now we have believed, now we who have believed enter that rest. As for others, it is just as God has said, so I swore an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works, and see again, isn't that a little bit confusing the way that it says it there? But you have to remember he explained that they couldn't enter in. It's not a declaration of God to withhold. It's him declaring what they had established in their own lives. It's almost as if he was giving them over to what they had decided in their own lives, in their own hearts. Uh, and yet his works have been finished since the foundation of the world. I love that he put that in there. The work is finished. He was angry at their unbelief, unbelieving hearts that produced disobedient behavior in their life. They couldn't enter. See, because here's the thing. They needed to be able to believe God on such a level that once they crossed the Jordan into the promised land, they needed to be of character and strength to be able to follow God in fighting off the giants. And if they couldn't believe him in the desert to follow him for that time, they couldn't be at a place when they went into the promised land to fight the next battle of faith that he needed them to be ready for. So even again, it's not that God withheld it from them. 
But they weren't what they needed to be then, much less what they were going to need to be, even though the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Isn't that interesting? It's such a paradox. It's like the table is set. The most glorious dinner that you can imagine is prepared out there, ready for you. And when you eat it, you're going to lose a whole bunch of weight, and you're going to feel great, and it's going to make you perfect health for the rest of your life. But you've got to fight off every doubt that you will ever face to get to it. I mean, you know, that's a weird example. But I'm just saying, there's this promise that's available to us. It's there. It's ready. And the only thing holding us back is us. It's not the enemy. The enemy is not stronger than you. It's our own unbelieving hearts. And so this is what we're doing. We're disciplining ourselves to believe. Now, I'm actually going to get to our first discipline that we're talking about, which is prayer. So verse 4, For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in this manner, and on the seventh day God rested from all his works. And again he says in the passage above, They shall never enter my rest. Since then it remains for some to enter his rest. And since those who formerly heard the good news did not enter because of their disobedience, the disobedience was unbelief, God again designated a certain day as today when a long time later he spoke through David as just was stated, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. This is what we're doing. We want to engage in practices and disciplines that soften our heart toward him even in the dark times when we would love to just sit and wallow in our pain that hardens our hearts. For Joshua, if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken, of a, spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Now, the Sabbath rest is this inheritance that we have in Christ secured in this new covenant. All of the benefits of being in this new covenant with the Father through Christ. So for whoever enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. Make every effort to believe. Make every effort to get doubt and unbelief out of your heart so that no one will fall by following the same pattern of disobedience. And this is where that that commission that I, that I hear Peterson giving us. You know, strive to be the best version of you that you possibly can be. Do whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes to enter into that rest. <laughs> Work as hard as you can <laughs> to rest. And so what is that work for you? That's where the discipline of schedules comes in. That's where the discipline of things like fasting and contemplation and prayer and meditation and serving and giving. You know, giving's a big one. It's just monumental. Disciplining your heart to give teaches you to trust Him for your financial provision. We'll get to that one. This one today is prayer. So, and I'm not so much talking about the discipline of wake up and pray as much as I am, how do you pray? 
You know, what is prayer? Prayer for us is not asking God for a bunch of things because He's already given us everything that pertains unto life and godliness. What is prayer? To me, prayer is coming into agreement with God's will. Now, that's tricky because some people think God's will is heaviness, sickness, suffering. Now, you might suffer if you stand up for your faith, and, but you can be sustained through that. Are you with me? Like, if you think God's will is somehow the difficulties that you're facing in life, then you're going to have trouble with where we're about to go. But if you think that God's will is as Jesus prayed, your will be done on earth as it is. So, so that's the potential. That's the potential that we have to aim for that we can reach for in this earth is to experience life on earth as it is in heaven. <clears throat> yes, but I have this and I have that. I know. Me too. Me too. As well as every other human on the planet. But if Jesus were here and he said, come on, follow me. I'll show you how to live this way you're not really even so much focused on the benefits. You're focused on Him. You're focused on, I want to walk as close to Him as I possibly can. And as I follow Him, as I mimic His moves, y'all can unlock that door. I know y'all said y'all got somewhere to go. Love you guys. <laughs> it's all right. He's got to go to work. Um, but, but, I mean, so, so, so endeavoring to believe is not about, well, this is what I'm going to get because I believe. Now, I believe God wants you incredibly blessed, healed, prospered, kept safe, all of that stuff. He's the God of comfort. I believe that's what He wants for you. But more than that, He wants you to follow Jesus as close as you possibly can, regardless of the outcome. Now, it just so happens that as you follow Him, everything is added to you and you never even have a need and it's probably added to you exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ever ask for in the first place. So you can be a blessing beyond anything that you could ever imagine to others. But the goal is following Him. The goal is walking as close to Him. And to me, that's what prayer is. It's trying to get the clearest picture that I can of Him in my mind and in my heart. And I see myself in unison with Him, flowing with Him. And so then when I see myself following Him closely, and then I think about my life, I'm speaking to my life out of my relationship and intimacy with Him. I'm not looking at the situation going, God, would you come here and do something about this? Come on. It's no, this is Jesus. Oh yeah, there's this. Let me, let me breathe the life into that that Jesus has, the quality of life in that area that I see in Him, that's the potential. So when I pray, I'm going to pray in such a way that I see that situation and I'm speaking it up into its highest potential. I'm putting it into that heavenly realm to let it be influenced by God because I want to be so connected and influenced and focused on Him that when I look away from him at the world, oh, that doesn't look like him. Okay, so let me speak this and pray this and do this into this because this is him. Does that make sense? Oh, so we need to know him. 
know his will, know his word, which means we need to know what heaven is like because that's his will on earth as it is in heaven. So you wake up every day regard to prayer and put on your spiritual identity. So if you can do this this week and in, in the upcoming weeks throughout this series and whatever it takes for you, you know, we've got some note cards in front of you there. I want you to become engaged in this process. I don't want you to just sit there and listen to this message and think, well, that was awesome. What time's lunch? You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I want you to strive to aim as high as you possibly can. Because I know that's what you want for yourself. And I love the innuendo that he put in there about pick something worthy of living for. Have a goal because it's now what you got. What you got to realize is here is a clinical psychologist that has sat in front of probably thousands of people and has talked to them about life. And what he knows is that the best thing for you is to live with a sense of purpose. The best thing for you to get out of your past and your funk and your pain is to have a future in mind that you're living toward, something that you're giving yourself to, something that you're pouring yourself into. But not from a sense of guilt, not from a sense of, well, God, what do you want me to do? If you just show me what I'm supposed to do, then I'd do it. Well, you probably wouldn't. Unless you're taking steps towards something now. And what is that for you? You know, I want it to be challenging. I don't want us to settle. I want you to, be, to joy in your salvation. Take great comfort in the rest that you have in Christ, that you're complete in Him. But don't settle in this world for your state of being now. Let that reality that is in you call you up into a higher expression of faith because the world needs it. we got too many Christians that have given up on the world. Somebody needs to believe. Somebody needs to succeed. Let it be us. And then this is Jesus talking about prayer. But when you pray, it's Matthew 6, 6, but when you pray, go into your inner room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't babble on like pray, pagans, uh, for they think that by many words they'll be heard. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Think about that. He already knows. He already knows. And he's already given you everything that pertains unto life and godliness. Prayer is not about asking God to do something in such a way where when you walk away from it and you're like, well, I really said that prayer in just the right order. And so that's probably what's going to cause God to go ahead and give me that thing now. I said it the right way this time. No, that, that, this, is, this is where praying with your spirit comes in to play. You know, we put so much emphasis on the tongue and the unknown language when we're talking about praying with our spirit, but that's just the vehicle to, to shape the world around you. The unknown language and your tongue verbalizing those sounds, that's the end of the chain to make an impact in this earth. The issue is... Are you groaning from your spirit, influenced by the throne of God to declare His will into this world? Bypassing your intellect, 
by speaking with your spirit in an unknown language. That's what I see. When I'm praying with my spirit, it's almost as if there's a fire hose of reprogramming spiritual reality going into this world. And as I'm praying with my spirit, I'm reprogramming this earth to reflect what God wants. It's like the matrix or something, you know. It's like there's a code behind the world that everything operates on, and, it's, and it interacts with human observation. That's why I love the quantum stuff, because it shows us the smallest bits of matter in this earth, energetically, smallest we can observe, and even smaller, responds to mankind's observation. And you can affect it and change it. Aim as high as you possibly can. Don't judge yourself for being where you are. Rejoice in your salvation in Him. But strive to see that perfected part of you in Him reflected into this world. That means some of us might need to skip a meal or two. I'm going to look up here when I say that. That might mean some of us might need to get back in that gym. I'm talking to me too. Because you, if you feel better, my goodness, how much does that change your life? Because so much of what we do is based on, well, I don't feel like doing that. I don't, I'll do that because I feel like it. I mean, honestly, how good are you at doing things even when you don't feel like it? And I'm not just talking about your job. Think about that. How often do you make decisions based on whether you feel like it or not. And we can change our feelings. God knows what you need before you ever even ask Him. Mark eleven twenty two. This is incredible. Jesus answered and said, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart. Now, I'm not going to try to figure out what the mountain is. You've all heard countless sermons and people trying to explain what the mountain is, and I think it can apply in many ways, and they're all, you know, good stuff out there. But here's the issue. When you pray, have faith in God and don't doubt in your heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. And then this here. So this is the fruit this is the fruit that we want of engaging in spiritual disciplines and practices. It's this. It's this right here. Verse Mark eleven twenty four. 24. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received, and it will be yours. That, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's like a time-traveling, paradoxical, quantum entanglement, spooky behavior statement. Believe that you have received, and it will be yours. Think about that. How much do we, when we pray, we're praying that it would be ours. When you pray, what you're doing, what you should be doing, is from faith in God, no doubt in your heart, believing that you have received. That's the seed that will grow into, and it will be yours. The will be yours, it's, it's, it's already true, 
So there's nothing you can do to make it happen other than to align yourself before that so that you stop stopping it from happening. He said it. I mean, this, all we're trying to do is figure out what this stuff means. I mean, really. You know, like, he could have just given us a one-page pamphlet. This is what you need to do to get saved. Good luck. <laughs> but he didn't. He gave us statements like that. Because I, I, know, I know what's happening. Theologically, and I'm pointing at the camera, because, you know, this message, kind of message, brings letters. <laughs> With all kinds of denominational uh, labels associated with it. I, I get that. I understand that. I'm just trying to look at the Word of God and, and rightly discern who is God. I mean, who is God? Well, we know that the clearest picture we have of Him is Jesus. Oh, so then who am I? And there's so much in there. He takes great effort to give us information to help us shape our minds and our hearts to believe that we are, in fact, as He is in this world. As He is, so are we in this world. He didn't have to say that, but He did. That's how we pray. That's where we pray from. Now, don't judge yourself based on where you are. Don't judge yourself based on the last time you tried to do this. Don't reason away why you are where you are. Well, you see, here's where I am, and this is where I'm at, and I'm this age, and I have this kind of fixed income, and I'm this, and my mama said this, and this is just where I'm at, and I'm okay. And, and I think that's, that's a byproduct of this finished work grace message a lot of times is I'm okay. Well, no, you're not. In heaven you are. In spirit you are. But here we need to make every effort to labor to enter into that rest. Why? Because God is greatly glorified when you believe him and experience everything that Jesus paid for you to have. God is greatly glorified when his children live in the inheritance that he's given them. Those of you that have children, you're far enough along where you've craft, drafted a will for them, and, in a, and when you're thinking about it in a healthy way, you're excited to be a blessing to them, that they get to experience something. I mean, I've experienced that a little bit, you know. It's like, and you wrestle through that. It's like, well, you just get to enjoy something that somebody else worked for because they wanted you to experience it and enjoy it. That's what God wants for us. What is, he, what is he paid for? He's paid for this salvation, healing, wholeness, restoration, deliverance, rescue, all of that. We have been delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of his dear son. Aim as high as you can. Work as hard as you can to experience everything that you've been given for free. Don't settle. Do the work. Do the hard work to believe. I mean, really, do it. Should I channel my uh, Shiloh? Do it! <laughs> we should have had that clip, too. But not from the religious perspective of I'm, I'm horrible, 
I need to be better because I need to make God happy with my behavior. That's not why you're doing it. It's not why you're doing it. You couldn't do that anyway. Pray from your position in heaven with confidence, declaring God's promises rather than, from, rather than from a place of doubt. That's what prayer is. This discipline of prayer that you're going to wake up and do every day in a way that works for you is from this place, from your position in heaven, with confidence, declaring his promises, making sure that you're in faith toward him and working to get that doubt out. Discipline your prayer life to reflect your identity in him and his will, which is on earth as it is in heaven. All right, so everybody get, if you want, you can grab one of those little note cards in front of you, or if you can do this later, but I, but I want you to do this. Honestly, I, don't, don't miss this opportunity to experience more of what God has given you. I mean, if you're okay with where you are and you don't want... You know what I'm saying. I don't want to go too far into that statement. You get the point. But think about this. What is God's will? And I, I actually asked this question on, on Facebook. I said, what does God want? What quality of life does God want for you? And I qualified it with, I'm not asking what does God want from you. I mean, he wants you obedient from the heart. God wants you to follow and obey him. He wants you to believe him. He wants you to bring glory to his name. But what's the quality of life he wants for you? So that's your homework for this week is pray whenever is a good time for you to sit down and pray. But start with just intimacy. Start with just seeing him and being thankful for your completeness in him. But then I, what I'd like to see you do is by the end of the week is have a prayer written out. It's, you know, I don't want to call it a mantra, but something like that, something that you can read every day that's specifically related to you in your life, those areas that you want to see level up, that you're going to strive to enter into that rest that's already there, that you're going to live in what he's already given you. So... I want you to write out a prayer. I'm, I'm, it's interesting. I'm feeling kind of a block and resistance. And what I'm thinking is some of you are going, gosh, I don't even really pray that much. And you're kind of beating yourself up because you don't pray. Don't, don't do that. Ch but challenge yourself. But what is prayer? You know, and, and it's even paradoxical because sometimes people come into the understanding of the finished work. It's like, gosh, I, my prayers are terrible. I, I pray from doubt and unbelief all the time. I'm just not going to pray anymore. But what, what, is, what does prayer look like for you? Now, I'll just give you, you know, there, there's your, these are areas that you can pray. Your mental health, your relationships, your finances your calling or your ministry, your children, or whatever else God might lay on your heart to pray. Commit to waking up every day and praying. Even if it's only five minutes, that's fine. If it turns into an hour, 
that's fine too. But it's not about length of time. It's about the sincerity of the heart. And what is it that you're praying? Praying from a place of confidence. I think what I'll do is, is write a couple of sample ones as well and put those out there. But what I'd like to do, what I'd love for to happen is uh, if you're in the Facebook group, as you're writing these things down, post them in there because it may be where we can pray them together or share what it is that we're writing. And so ultimately at the end of it, it might look something like this. Father, I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I am in right standing with you. I thank you that you are giving life to my physical body and you are affirming to my spirit that I am your child. In the area of finances, I thank you that you want to bless me to be a blessing and I will be generous with the blessing that you bring into my life. Father, I thank you that my children are led and taught by the Lord, that as I pray for my children, I will not just look at the negative, but I will speak life over them because your wisdom is accessible for them, even though I might not see it. Are you with me? So, so, so you're, you're speaking over it what God's promise is, what God's will is, rather than from the sense of lack or need because he's already given you everything that pertains unto life and godliness. Y'all want to do another one? What's, what's another area of life, just a general area of life that, that you'd like to see something, a prayer crafted for? I know it's late. We're running long. Three different people said health. All right. So what do we know about God's will in relation to health? Say it louder. He wants us well. Jesus paid for our healing. So that's kind of what I'm after. Something scriptural. Jesus paid for my healing. And it's like, what does that look like for you to write that in your heart where it's set in stone? Jesus paid for this. This is bought and paid for. What if you went to pick something up that you already paid for and they said, no, you can't have it. What would you do? You might, you, you even have the receipt. No, I, I no, no. <laughs> I already paid for that. Are you with me? So, so it's not just from a biblical statement perspective. Make it a real thing for you in your heart. What does it look like for you to believe Jesus paid for this? That might mean that you need to know kind of the legal aspects of a covenant and the fact that you are secure in that covenant because he sealed it in his own blood. It's something that he paid for. Healing for you is as sure as the gift of eternal life. In this moment, Father, your spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is giving life to my physical body. So you go in there and you find some things that illustrate his will in the area of healing. Look at Jesus. What did he do? He went about doing good and healing all. Jesus is the exact representation of the invisible God. And not one time, Jesus, did you make people sick. Not one time, Jesus, did you withhold healing. There were times when people couldn't receive it from you. But if I'm in that position... I, don't want, I honor and respect you, Jesus, as the giver of life. Are you with me? 
So in that area, you start persuading your heart. You speak out. This is the reality. This is the biblical picture. So it's almost you're painting a biblical picture, tapping into real-world scenario to make it an anchor in your heart, to persuade your heart to believe. Now, you guys know this, you've, it, and you've probably done it before. And, you know, you could call it confessions, but you're not confessing to make it true. You're not confessing for God to give it to you. You're confessing to get yourself in alignment to let it manifest in your life and quit constricting it through doubt. Are you with me? You're coming into harmony. So now, do it. <laughs> or not, and just stay where you are. Let's just stand up. <clears throat> Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You've not left us on our own. You are always with us. We will be courageous. We will be bold in our faith toward you. We will, we will sit ourselves down and have a talk with ourselves and tell ourselves, you will believe God. And this is what's causing you to not believe God. So we're going to work on that this way. I just want you to see yourself. Step outside of yourself. Look back to yourself and say, okay, this is what we're going to do. My Father, I thank you for grace. Thank you for strength. Thank you for peace in the process. I thank you for that there is no condemnation because we're in you. I thank you that you're right there cheering us on, encouraging us, strengthening us, giving us wisdom and ideas along the way of how to persuade our hearts. We're setting a new thermostat level in our hearts to believe. We're raising up our level of expectation to quit limiting you and experience everything that you have for us, that you've already given us. Thank you, Lord. And those that need healing in this room or watching or listening, those of us that need uh, a miracle in our finances or we just need to manage money better or quit believing that we're bad with money, I just speak to those areas of our life our mind and our hearts. Give us a picture, Lord, of how to believe you. Give us a picture of what to believe and how to believe and to stand firm in that strength as we encourage one another. And I just so I just saw that, even anchoring back to the starting, how we started talking about testimony. I want to hear your testimonies because we need to hear each other's testimonies. And, and, and not from the perspective of comparing, but that challenge to believe, challenging one another to believe. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Love you guys. Bless you. Do the work to labor, enter into the rest, and share those as we go along. And who knows? Maybe we'll make a little journal or something where we've got a prayer journal for ourselves to encourage one another with. Amen? All right. Love you guys. Have a good week. We have a prayer team that's up here if you guys need anything.
If you're watching online, you don't know Jesus, go to forward.church and click on the article at the bottom, and we will explain to you who he is. Reach out to us and let us know you made that decision.